Kia and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners, the Auckland Faculty. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler and today I welcome to the podcast your lifestyle medics, Dr. Tasia Chek and Marissa Kelleher, to discuss vegan babies, preconception through to the first year. Tasia holds dual fellowships in general practice and lifestyle medicine. She also holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition. Tasia lives in Nelson and is passionate about supporting health improvement through a holistic evidence-based approach to medicine. Marissa is a GP fellow who has completed foundational training through ACNAM. She is working towards fellowship with ASLIM. She works as a GP and runs her own private lifestyle medicine clinic, Haven Health. Kia ora to you both and welcome to the podcast. Hi Louise, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us on, our pleasure to be here. So in this podcast we're going to discuss how to optimise nutrition in the prenatal period for expectant parents and through to the first year. So let's start with a case. Sally is a 28-year-old female. She has followed a vegan lifestyle for most of her adult life. Her partner, Tumu, is also vegan. They are wanting to start a family and have come to you, their primary care provider, to discuss how to optimize their chances of conceiving and having a healthy baby. So what do we need to know? Thanks, Louise. As a GP, I actually have had this scenario lots of times, and I think that's a great topic that we're discussing today. Obviously, we're going to be asking her the usual kind of questions in a prenatal screens, her family history, her medical history, the medication she's on, and specifically if she's taking any supplementation at the moment, um, smoking, alcohol, those types of things. And then I think it's quite important to define vegan or what kind of a diet she has. So that would be where I would start. And so, yeah, just making her feel really comfortable and heard because some people feel a little bit embarrassed or like they might get frowned upon by GPs when they go and talk about their diet it seems to be have a lot of sort of emotional and other aspects to it as well so yeah vegan for most people means no animal products so I guess screening to see if that's what she means by vegan diet so that's no meat dairy and eggs some people avoid things like honey and stuff as well and there's obviously a spectrum so vegan can be oreos and chips um, because they're made from plants or you know um, a lot of vegans are actually quite health conscious and um, I found generally have a pretty good um, range of whole plant foods in their diet and then there's also plant-based diets which is a term that's being used quite a lot and so when we're talking about plant-based diets this can again be a spectrum so some people mean that to be fully vegan so no animal products and others mean it to be sort of more eating predominantly plants so you know sort of 80 to 90 percent of their diet coming from plants but also adding some animal foods into their diet so again it's you're not black and white it's a bit of a spectrum and then it's also whole foods versus junk foods because you can go either way so I think That would be really important to define um, from a nutritional point of view, uh, you know, what kind of uh, quality of her diet, but also in consideration of supplements, specifically B12, which we'll talk a bit about today. It sounds like you've already answered how long she's been vegan so far, predominantly a long time of her life. So I guess that, again, that's important for things like B12 storage in her body. And it would be interesting to know if she's had, um, you know, iron blood tests and B12 blood tests and stuff in the past and whether she's had any significant problems with this. I'd also ask her those kind of questions. In terms of B12, do you mind if we just, if I do a quick spiel about that for people that might be wondering why we're going to hammer this quite hard in this podcast? So B12 is probably the thing that for anyone that's saying they're vegan or predominantly plant-based is that you really need to hone in on. We know that B12 is only um, available through diet. So your body actually does make B12, but it's too far down the gut for us to absorb. 
So we're going to be needing that from our diet. And B12 generally only comes or predominantly comes from animal food. So it's found in the soil and it's made by bacteria and then generally is either on our food, like our vegetables or the animals eat the plants and then when you eat the animals. The problem, um, I guess, with just getting it from an, a plant-based source is the way we farm foods these days is reduce the quality of the soil. Um, we're monoculturing, we wash our vegetables like crazy, so we're not really eating much dirt um, <laughs> so that we can't really get a reliable source from plant-based foods. So animals also are having this problem, so there's quite a lot of um, animals now being supplemented B12 as well for the same reason. So when we eat an animal, we're basically eating the, the animal's B12 supplementation. So there are some people, or if you look on the internet, which is full of stories, um, you can see people getting B12 from things like nutritional yeast or other sort of sources, but that's not, it's been tested not to not be very reliable at all. So I would say that is the one thing to always recommend to um, a plant-based person is to make sure that they're all vegan, to make sure they're on a B12 supplement so that you've covered your base of that because B12, it, it is stored in the body for quite a long time. So we're talking like three to five years for people but those stores will run out and it's different for everybody. And there's not really much point waiting until it's run out because we know that it's important for nerve and brain development, you know, brain cells. And so you can get irreversible changes um, once it goes low. So there's no, you know, it'd be pretty risky to wait until it goes low before you supplement. So I think just um, a general for everybody, they should be on a supplement. So that's a good way to explain it to patients about why you think it's so important that that's the one supplement they definitely need to be taken. And there's a couple more that I'd like to talk about today as well. Cool. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add to that probably the other thing that's often worthwhile doing, like Tysia said, is just clarifying what she means by vegan diet. Because again, there's a big variety. Like we see, I, I also see a lot of kind of vegan pregnancies and most vegans, adults are fairly kind of uh, nutrition conscious, but it's worth just asking a few open iron questions, such as whether she get her iron from in her diet, what's her understanding of eating a vegan diet during pregnancy, just checking what she knows in terms of nutritional requirements. If there's any kind of concerns about, say, specific dietary restrictions that might increase the risk of her having, say, like low iron levels or something, obviously the B12 she's going to need to supplement. Then also offering the input from a dietitian um, is a really good idea. Yeah, and these are often, it's generally free referral and they're pretty quick mm. um, to get onto that during a pregnancy, at least I've found. Thank you both. So what is the general advice for Sally in the preconception period? Kind of what we've been talking about, so healthy living, like the lifestyle stuff we like to talk about, exercise, um, you know, no smoking or alcohol, a healthy, varied diet, those kind of things. That if you look at it from, you know, is is a vegan diet okay um, in, in pregnancy or preconception, then, you know, our Ministry of Health guidelines defer to the American Academy of Nutrition, which says that it can be a well-planned plant-based diet can meet all nutritional needs, needs for all life stages, so pregnancies, young children, older children. Um, so it can definitely be a safe way to go, uh, but it's just sort of honing in on the specific of her diet and, and where she's at. So we talked a little bit about B12 already. Um, so my general advice in terms of other supplements um, would be you're going to be considering folic acid for her anyway because she's looking to conceive. And for plant-based people, I always suggest iodine as well. So iodine sources are you know, milk, seafood. You can get some from seaweeds um, and iodized salt, but we're trying not to you know, support too much salt eating. So it is um, iodine is one of those things that, again, is not very rich in the soils in New Zealand. So we're looking um, at replacing it with a supplement. You can, some people choose to eat um, include seaweed in their diet. I know the general recommendations are that it's not good to include seaweed and you know, suddenly include seaweed into your diet once you're pregnant. But if it's already part of your diet, that should be fine. But it might be worth checking um, using like the Chronometer app is one of them where you can put your diet 
in for a sort of a week and get an average of how much iodine is in there or seeing a dietitian about that or just taking an iodine supplement because she's going to be on that anyway once she gets pregnant. So most people just choose to take it. So we've talked about folic acid and iodine. We've talked about B12 already. The other two considerations I always talk to people about are vitamin D and omegas, specifically for plant-based people looking to conceive and also in pregnancy. Vitamin D is, I mean, we see a lot of deficiency um, in our lifestyle clinics and this might be further along when she actually gets pregnant, but our New Zealand guidelines don't recommend vitamin D to pregnant women and babies um, at this stage unless they're at high risk. But interestingly, you know, there's been some studies recently down in Otago. I think um, Dr. Ben Wheeler, um, I was made aware of one, and he found quite significant vitamin D deficiency in, in pregnancies, not just plant-based pregnancies, general pregnancy and babies in New Zealand. So I think a lot of places around the world are recommending it. So I wouldn't be surprised if that changes. And I think, you know, a lot of the sun awareness these days, make sure we're wearing a hat and lots of sunscreen. So definitely in the winter and definitely the further south you get, um, considering vitamin D. Because again, you know, the food sources of vitamin D are more animal foods, things like, you know, eggs and fish. So that's a good thing to consider as well as a supplement of vitamin D. And then um, I always talk to people about omegas. So uh, there's different types of omegas. So long chain fatty acids are DHA and EPA. And um, this might bring some people back to medical school. But so uh, ALA is the only omega that is found in a plant-based diet so there's lots of sources like chia seeds and flax seeds and walnuts and hemp seeds and they're really important to be including in diet there is a little bit of concern that the conversion from ALL because the body can actually change ALA to EPA and DHA but that conversion is quite low so you know up to only one percent to DHA of your ALA that you're consuming from your diet is converted and we know DHA is important and especially in brain development so brain development of fetus and in young babies and so some, there's no, I can't find some good recommendations on this to say whether or not it should be supplemented. But I think if it's not in your prenatal sort of or pregnancy um, multivitamin, if you're taking one of them, then I think considering suggesting DHA source um, if they're not having oily fish is probably something to yeah, think about as well. I'm not sure if Marissa has anything further she wants to chip in from that point yeah, of view. Everything that Tazi has pointed out, I would agree with. The other thing to mention is there is a lot of, in particular, people that are, say, health conscious, maybe following vegan diets, there's a lot of conflicting information going around on social media about things like prenatal supplements. And I think it's a really good time to just reinforce that the, you know, the prescription folic acid iodine, completely fine to take. They're safe to take as a vegan. You don't need to buy expensive supplements, which unfortunately there's various people out there kind of trying to promote non-funded expensive ones um, and just kind of reinforcing that yes the folic acid uh, the vitamin d the iodine and potentially the omega-3 are all really important to do and you don't need to go out and buy special brands that the prescription ones are perfectly adequate the other thing i'd also add is often and in, in kind of the preconception consult it can be worthwhile offering baseline blood tests for things like iron and b12 again just to get an idea of whether people are replete before they go into pregnancy because it's much easier to correct it before you're pregnant otherwise obviously once you are pregnant your nutritional needs increase anyway so you're playing a little bit of a catch-up so I will usually offer people a b12 and iron blood test along with sometimes if they want to do preconception blood tests so checking things like rubella antibodies and the usual stuff that we would do as well and a good time to discuss about kind of making sure that you have adequate levels of those things before you even go into a pregnancy because you know baseline health makes pregnancies much easier than if you detect say like a significant iron deficiency halfway through a pregnancy which unfortunately happens not just in vegans but in the general population as well. Fantastic. Thank you both. 
So Sally does come back to you. She's been taking the prenatal vitamins that you suggested and she's just missed her period. Her pregnancy test is positive. Is there anything else that she needs to do to optimize her nutrition in this early part of her pregnancy? Cool. Good question. Uh, so general advice, again, you know, what you would do in an early pregnancy consult. But again, in terms of a nutrition perspective, she needs to be aware that she will need to be increasing her calorie intake, her protein intake, iron, looking at where she's getting her iron and calcium needs from, because these all increase during pregnancy for everybody, not just plant-based people. And I think it's maybe a good time to be talking just to mention iron deficiency. So uh, it's a very common issue in pregnancy and definitely not just with vegan or plant-based diets. It seems to be sort of affecting most women. So like Marissa said, checking baselines is always good beforehand, but maybe keeping an eye on that during her pregnancy a bit more as well as B12 levels just to check. I think some, I guess it's looking at also, um, you know, having confidence of offering her advice about where iron comes from in a plant-based diet. So we do sometimes see, well, interestingly, we see vegetarians who are swapping sort of meat out for things like cheese and, uh, you know, um, those kind of products might get lower iron levels just in general, not pregnancy related, but, you know, whole food diets where you're swapping um, meat out for things like um, lots of lentils and leafy greens, and those are going to be pretty iron rich. So I find actually that the vegetarians tend to be have the lower iron levels, whereas um, plant, whole food plant-based or vegans generally do okay with um, iron in general, but it's just kind of making her aware of where she can find those good iron sources or like Marissa said, a dietitian referral is always good if she's got any concerns. Uh, and I think it's really important to support her decision to be vegan because a lot of people are choosing to be vegan for potentially ethical reasons um, or environmental reasons. And it, and it does often um, resonate kind of what their true sort of va values are and what's important to them. So I think it's a, quite a complex issue in just telling them to eat some meat when they're pregnant or lose the trust of your patient um, really quickly. Um, so you want to, you know, be on their team, be on their side and understand that, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, part of who they are as a person and, and what they've chosen is, is quite complex. So I think, yeah, supporting their decision and helping them find options rather than suggest. I have definitely heard of people coming to me that are disgruntled where they've had doctors um, suggest that. So just thought I'd bring that up. Yeah, I'd, I'd add to that. I think what Tizi said is really important, like to suggest that to a vegan who's eating a vegan diet for ethical reasons that they need to eat meat is actually pretty highly offensive and unfortunately it does happen more often than we realize so I think again you know just emphasizing that if, if someone if a woman chooses to eat a well-planned balanced vegan diet in pregnancy you know you can completely have a healthy pregnancy so long as it's balanced and you're kind of meeting nutritional requirements and three also giving her the confidence to advocate for herself because she may well come across people during her pregnancy that give her conflicting advice and say oh, you need to eat meat you need to do and that can actually be really confusing and also quite distressing for women so I think just giving her the confidence that one, you know, this is her decision to make. It's a completely safe and valid decision and that she'll be supported in that. And then if she needs help in terms of like looking at specific nutritional needs, either as a GP, you can support her or refer to a dietitian rather than kind of trying to give blanket recommendations, which may actually be completely against what her belief system is. Fantastic. Thank you both. I just wonder if we can go back and pick up on the DHA comment. My understanding is often this is a fish-based mm. supplementation. So, mm -hmm. so what should we be suggesting there? If you actually look at where fish-based DHA and EPA come from, it actually tends to be from the algae that they eat. So again, it's coming down the supply chain of food. And so there are now some really good vegan omega-3 supplements which are cultured from like a specific strain of marine algae and they're pretty widely available there's lots of them in New Zealand and again they're very transparent on the back so you can kind of look and check that you've got the right levels of EPA and DHA 
it's a very easy, safe option for vegan women to take um, because, as you said, they generally probably won't want to be taking a fish-based omega-3 supplement if they're vegan, especially for ethical reasons. Thanks, Marissa. So Sally and Timu welcome their beautiful baby into the world approximately 40 weeks later. Sally fully breastfeeds, which is fantastic. What advice do we need to give Sally with respect to her own diet and possible supplementation through this early postnatal period? Cool. All breastfeeding women, we're recommending iodine supplementation anyway, so she'll be along in that category. And then it's the same as sort of as the main four, it's iodine, vitamin D, the omegas and the B12 to keep it really simple. So again, suggesting, you know, that she has a source of DHA um, in her diet if she wants to take an algae supplement. B12, again, essential because um, baby will be getting B12 through her breast milk, same as the placental transfer. And then considering a vitamin D, and um, like I said before, there is um, a surprising amount of deficiency in, in breastfeeding women. So yeah, that could be a good option, especially if she's not, you know, a newborn baby, you're often not outside a lot of the time, um, you're hold at home um, inside and, um, and especially if she's down south, and even if she's not in the high risk category, I would consider talking to her about a vitamin D supplement. And I'd add to that, I think the other thing would be, ho- hopefully she has had things like her iron and B12 monitored throughout the pregnancy, which usually obviously will be done through the midwife generally because of how maternity care works in New Zealand. It can also be a great time to, again, just repeat the blood tests and check that she's got reasonable levels because obviously she's going to have uh, increased needs for those with breastfeeding. And then you can kind of assess whether or not she needs anything like supplementation for iron in particular. Obviously, she'll still be taking B12. The other thing I'd want to add, which we didn't mention before, is that some people I have seen say, well, if I do a B12 level and it's okay, then I don't need to supplement. Whereas we do know that B12 levels aren't hugely reliable on a blood test. And again, as Tysia said, often your stores can drop well before the blood levels will drop. If you look at vegan guidelines from overseas, they actually recommend checking things like homocysteine and MMA, but they're very expensive non-funded tests to do in New Zealand. So it's really important to reinforce that people should be supplementing regardless of blood tests. And the blood tests are kind of like an extra just to make sure that your obviously your levels aren't dropping, but you need to supplement as a blanket rule with vegan pregnancies and obviously vegan diets in general. So we move on and baby is now two months old. Breastfeeding has gone well, but baby is failing to thrive and put on weight. A lactation consultant is engaged with some success, but baby still is not gaining weight and it's suggested that feeds are supplemented. At two months old, what do we suggest as far as supplementary feeds? Yeah, this is a great question. And and it's kind of one of those super hard ones for especially people that are very strongly vegan and don't want to consider any dairy. I mean, obviously, we want to be supporting her to breastfeed as much as possible because any kind of breast milk that baby's getting is a good thing. So uh, sort of off the topic of nutrition, but, you know, engaging, keep up with the lactation support. um, support, And if there's any other way we can support her with, um, you know, family help and and that kind of thing. And then in terms of formula, well, definitely no homemade formulas. And um, we know that sort of where some of the bad stigma has come for vegan babies, where um, they're on some kind of homemade formula or not B12 um, supplemented. And um, there has unfortunately been some deaths from that. So we're just reminding them because everybody has uh, obviously got the information from different places. That's not a safe option. And we want to be using formulas, not plant milks, because they don't have the nutritional requirements. So they're going to have to find some kind of formula that works for them. In terms of recommendations, there's, you know, on soy-based formula, that's a hard one. So some places overseas say it's okay to start soy from two months of age, you know, from zero months of age. But here in New Zealand, I think the general recommendation is don't use soy until baby's about six months. 
I think that's because of um, the increase in, I read something about a cross-reactivity, so soy allergies is much higher, sort of around 25% in this group if, if you do start it early. I'm not sure if there's any other reason for that. Um, and also the soy um, formula are not 100% vegan anyway. They are like 99 point something. They do have, um, I think, some animal product. I think it's from the, the vitamin D. I'm not 100% sure. So even if they're using soy, I don't think there's one that's in New Zealand that's, that you can get that's 100% vegan. Then I guess if they're happy not to use soy, then it would be their preference between like, you know, cow, cow's formula or goat's formula. Um, and I guess it depends on how their values are. It, just having um, supplementing with a bit of cow or goat formula um, for a small amount of time doesn't mean that the baby's going to have to have dairy for the rest of its life. And it could be that um, they, they're happy with that. But it, yeah, it is, it's a tricky conversation to have for some people. And I'd add that often because like, again, if people are vegan for ethical reasons, it can, there can be a lot of guilt involved, obviously, you know, around kind of breastfeeding and if they're wanting to breastfeed and struggling to do that. And also if they personally don't believe in consuming dairy and then have to give their baby a dairy-based formula. But I think, again, it's a really good time to reinforce that. Like Tazia said, it doesn't mean that they're going to have to have dairy forever. And, you know, looking after their baby and making sure that the baby's getting enough nutrients is really vital and they're doing the right thing by doing that because they may be getting pressure and guilt from other people because there, there are some kind of fairly dubious um, influences and advice going around out there. And, you know, people can be quite vulnerable at that time because obviously they want to do what's best for their baby, but they're being torn from an ethical perspective. So, yeah, just just really reinforcing that um, if they need to give formula and baby's not thriving and it needs to be a cow's milk one, they are doing the right thing. And to kind of, you know, focus on making sure that baby's growing and thriving um, is really important. But it is, it's a really tricky one. For some people, it can be a, a really tr- a hard decision to make. What about breast milk banks? I know in some of the larger centres, this is an option. Any comments about that? I don't have a lot of experience in that. I know in um, Nelson, there's no regulation. There's definitely sort of not underground breast milk banks, but you can get it through, um, you know, groups, Facebook, social media groups and stuff like that. But I know it's not tested in terms of like safety wise. Mm -hmm. And Nelson, I don't think there's any kind of safe option that I know of. But again, um, maybe in in biggest centres, it's different. I think if it can be done safely, like you said, and screened to make sure one, there's no risk of infectious disease and two, that, you know, I guess the main thing would be potentially medication transfer through the breast milk if you don't know the medical history of the mum that's donating the milk. I think you probably want to be careful with that. But like you said, if there's a safe option where it can be done safely and kind of screen for those things, then I I don't have any issue with it. I can't see why there would be an option. I'm not I'm not sure if there's any other kind of reasons not to. Excellent. Thank you. So baby is now six months old and hungry. It appears to be interested in food and it feels like it's the right time to introduce solids. So what is the advice from you for introducing solids to optimise growth and development for this little one? Introducing solids as normal, but they won't be wanting to introduce animal products in the solids. But to be honest, a lot of the early baby foods aren't animal-based anyway. So, you know, veggies and fruit and grain-based cereals. I think the main thing that we talk about with any baby is iron-rich, some iron-rich foods, because we know that from sort of four to six uh, months, they have a bit of a storage from um, a neutro and then their, um, and then that kind of starts to run out, especially for breastfed babies. So considering some form of like some of the cereal based ones that have got fortified with iron and iron deficiency is super common for babies. And I think it's the most uh, common nutrient deficiency in, in childhood. So yeah, just really giving them good guidance about adding some iron rich foods um, into babies. Diet, there's, you know, the baby really weaning versus the um, spoon feeding kind of different camps. And um, the studies that I have looked at or the latest ones show that there's not a huge amount of difference in terms of how much iron babies are getting either way and possibly some um, 
for, for baby lead weaning, possibly some reduced risk of obesity later on um, down the track or, or being overweight. So I think, you know, whatever they feel is, is best for baby. I don't think there should be a divided camp too much in that way. I'd say I, I would agree with that, especially in particular, just reinforcing that iron, iron-rich iron foods are important. Again, the refined grains is a tricky one because a lot of people who are vegan will obviously be fully health conscious and trying to have kind of whole grains and stuff. But we do know that in babies and small children in particular, because their stomachs are smaller, foods that are whole grain tend to be quite high in bulk and high in fiber, which is great as an adult. But because children have much higher calorie needs for growth, then often actually mixing in some refined grains to make sure that they're getting much kind of higher higher calorie, lower density foods is a good idea. And that, that's what the recommendations generally are from paediatric dietitians, um, rather than purely just going for the whole grains like we generally recommend for adults. And just kind of reinforcing to parents that, you know, obviously trying to get a variety of foods, in particular focusing on the iron rich foods, which there's lots of great plant based um, options for that. There is some long-term data that suggests that actually having a, a well-balanced plant-based diet from an early age can actually potentially reduce the risk of, of a variety of health issues such as you know, obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease and hypertension. Um, so again, just supporting the parents and kind of making sure that they are confident with what they're feeding the baby, checking that they're getting a variety of foods. Again, referring to our dietitian if they wanted some more guidance. And again, we find most vegan parents, because they're, they're fairly health conscious, they do tend to be highly motivated to want to be able to feed their baby the best food. And so long as they feel supported and listened to, then they will often engage if there's kind of, you know, ex- extra dietary advice needed. In terms of um, allergens, that might be your next question, Louise. And there is some evidence that, you know, suggests that early introduction of allergenic foods, you know, allergenic foods being like soy and nuts and eggs and um uh, sea fish and dairy um, early introduction of them that in the first um, you know six months to one year of life can definitely reduce the chance of um, severe allergies so again it's probably a bit of a personal decision for them to make about how strongly they feel about the ethical value you know ethical and environmental and reasons for being plant-based but some people would suggest you know doing a bit of introduction there so that their body um, can have that chance to reduce the allergies later on in life um, if, if they feel comfortable with that. If not, then that's, you know, you just support them in that decision. And that would probably also be taking into account, I guess, family history of allergy, you know, like overall risk of food allergies as well. And probably just having an open, informed discussion with them and saying, look, this is what the data shows. Um, and then they can kind of make the choice of whether they want to, you know, try and introduce them to reduce the risk of allergies or versus whether like ethically it's really important for them to not do that. Um, and I think, again, you know, there's probably no real right or wrong decision here. It's, there's a lot of different variables to take into account and giving them the ability to make a, an informed decision, I think, is important. So thinking about supplementations with vegan infants, do we need to supplement? And if so, what do we supplement and from what age? Good question. I mean, again, I think trying to keep it real simple in um, your head when you're seeing a vegan person is, is those, or vegan baby is those four main things. So B12, um, vitamin D, iodine, and um, omegas, because we know they're the ones that potentially they could be deficient on. So I think the general advice B12 is once they're weaned. So if they're having breast milk from mum, then they should be getting a B12 through her supply. Or if now they switch to formula, then that will have um, B12 in it as well. So Usually, you know, around that kind of one year of age, thinking about adding some B12 supplementation again, um, that's the super important one that we don't want to miss. So um, making sure they've got some sort of source. I often get a lot of questions about how much um, B12 should they be taking. And in New Zealand, that's a little bit of a tricky one because the lowest dosage I can find um, in a drop form, it's a 25 microgram one. And um, recommendations are a little bit lower than that for a one-year-old baby. So 
it would be whether they give a slightly high dose, which probably doesn't have adverse effects because we know, you know, we give people injections of very high vitamin um, B12. Um, and with, we don't think there's any um, major uh, health long-term effects, but um, they can also dilute it. So there are some dilution charts that you can do if you wanted to give a lower dose of that. Um, one of the great resources that I often send people to is plant-based juniors, and we can include that in, in the show notes maybe. So there are two dietitians in America that have a supplement guide for vegan babies, and it just gives sort of per age around about what they should be having, and that can be quite empowering for people to know because I think I haven't seen any good New Zealand um, sort of charts or, or easy ways to find that out. Vitamin D, again, um, not directly recommended in New Zealand, which is surprising. I, like I said before, I think that would change. So um, the American Academy and in the UK, they recommend a 400 microgram dosage um, of supplementation. And so whether mum's having that in her breast milk or once they've weaned thinking about giving it to baby and formula, obviously they're going to be getting vitamin D through the formula, but once that stops thinking about that, and iodine, again, probably from around one year of age when they're weaning um, because iodine's mainly in seafood and dairy and obviously iodized salt, but you're not wanting to be giving lots of salt to a baby and definitely no salt at all before one year of age. So, um, yeah, thinking about around about a 90 microgram dose um, from about one year old to eight year olds or, um, you know, whether it's seaweed as they get a bit older, there's something that they want to include. Um, they may be having a little bit of iodized salt, so I guess you could work out how much um, they're missing, but that might be more sort of technical dietitian advice. And then again, whether we're considering a DHA supplement in these kids, because we know it's super important for brain development. So once they are weaned off mum's breast milk or formula, to be considering that. Mum comes back and is wondering about blood levels for baby. Is it something that we would be offering routinely or would this be a focused offering of testing? I wouldn't regularly routinely. I mean, generally in kids, especially in infants, we try and minimise blood tests, obviously, because they're traumatic and you don't want to be te do testing if necessary. In general, babies don't need to have blood tests monitored, um, especially if they're meeting nutrient needs from a dietary perspective. I think that would probably be something that would be a very focused test and you'd want to have a good clear clinical indication for testing it like you would with any blood tests in babies. And again, like Tysia said, so long as they're supplementing with the right amounts and getting a well-balanced diet and baby is thriving, then I wouldn't routinely check blood tests. If there was a failure to thrive issue, then probably they would need to be seen by paediatrics as you would do with any child anyway. So I would very rarely test blood tests in, in babies unless parents have got a really strong reason to but again I think with that it would be good to just talk through their reasons for wanting to test and you know reinforcing that generally we try and avoid blood tests in babies unless you've got a really good reason to do so. Fantastic thank you both. To conclude our podcast today your take home messages for our listeners please. Like we've hammered on this thing that B12 supplement is essential in pregnancy and um, for vegan mothers and also then to make making sure that um, babies are getting a source uh, and then the other ones to consider, and I think just trying to keep it not too complicated, but so a bit B12, iodine, vitamin D, and then omegas um, are the main things to discuss with your patient. Um, staying on the same team, like we've said, they often, you know, vegans often um, feel quite strongly about the reasons why they're vegan and just supporting them um, in their decision. And I think having a good, you know, patient relationship with them is, is most important. And we do find that, you know, vegan parents are often pretty health conscious anyway and into whole foods and they're usually quite receptive once you become engaged with them. Don't be afraid to offer a dietitian referral so it's free um, and they seem to be very good at prioritizing pregnant women. Um, it can also boost the confidence for you as a doctor and for parents and they might get some extra tips. And then uh, just remembering iron rich foods, super important from um, when they start solid, when baby starts solid around six months. 
And then for babies, thinking about yeah, B12 and iodine once they're weaned, um, and then encouraging DHA and vitamin D, same as, same as mum, those four main um, supplements. Fantastic. Thank you both for your time today and joining me on this podcast. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, please log it. You'll find a list of resources on our website, goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you.